Hey, thanks for checking out this week's message. We hope you're blessed by the Word of God. For more information on River of Life, you can check out our website, rolmt.com, or download our app. Just search R-O-L-M-T in your app store. Thanks. Hey, River family. How are you guys doing? Good. Hey, um, well, I am not the lead pastor, thank God. I am the youth pastor here at River of Life. Um, Pastor Jason and Shannon are actually on a cruise right now to Alaska, and so they are getting a well-deserved vacation. And so, um, yeah, so just be uh, praying for them because uh, my mom deals with motion sickness, and so I can only imagine how fun a cruise would be. But with that, Pastor Jason started a series a couple weeks ago that we've been in called Stronger, and it is just going through the book of Philippians. And so I actually get the uh, honor and opportunity uh, to preach on Philippians 3. And so, um, but first, he had a key verse that is found in Philippians 4. And so if y'all have your Bibles or are taking notes, that is where we're going to start. It is Philippians 4, 11 through 13. And this is Paul talking. He says, I am not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content. In any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want, I can do all things through him who gives me strength. So I loved that this was the key verse for this series. I feel like this is the most youth pastor verse that there is. Let me tell you, as youth pastors, we all came together and we decided, Philippians 4.13, this is our verse. And let me tell you why. Because every time we go to a camp, every time we have some sort of sporting event, when we go up to spike the volleyball on some poor seventh grader, we know that we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. Okay, this is, this is the youth pastor verse. This is the verse that I feel like is most taken out of context, especially with youth kids. Let me tell you, this is the verse that you see the team, they all write on their cleats, Philippians 4.13. This is the verse that's in the Instagram bio. But I think this verse right here is so cool when you take the context of it. When you actually know where Paul is writing this from, that he is writing this from prison, but also when you take those verses before it, and when he is explaining that he has learned to be content in all things, he is not saying by, by the strength of God, he can go out and just dominate, but he is explaining that even when he's hungry, he knows that God is in control. That even when he is in a struggle, he knows that the Lord is in, in control. And so I just think that's such an awesome verse. And, um, and next week, Pastor Jason will actually be doing Philippians chapter 4. And so he'll probably break that down even further. But um, I just wanted to say that I love that this is the key verse for this series. Because I really think that in Philippians 3, Paul is going to kind of break down some of that stuff where he's talking about being able to be content. So with that, if you have your Bibles, we are going to be turning to Philippians chapter 3. And the sermon title, if you're taking notes, is what I have named it, is Everything Else is Garbage. 
So I figure if you're going to give the youth pastor the microphone, we're going to make this as youth pastory as it can get. So we're going to start in verse 1 and 2 in Philippians 3. It says, Whatever happens, my dear brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. I never get tired of telling you these things, and I do it to safeguard your faith. When I was going over this book, when I was going over these, this set of verses, there were so many other verses talking about joy that continually came to mind. And the first one was James 1, 2 through 5, and I'm not going to read the whole thing, but James says to consider it an opportunity for great joy when trials come our way, when troubles of any kind come our way. And I was trying to think of, of the way that this just so, it works so well when, it, when they talk about joy, because even in Peter, it says in 1 Peter, he references that there's wonderful joy ahead, even though you must endure many trials. And I think Paul, when he's talking about being able to, content, to be content, I really think it comes back to this idea of having joy. So when I was studying it, I began to ask, well, how is it that as a church we can have joy? See, the, the point of this series, this stronger series, is for us as Christians to be able to read this, this letter of encouragement, this letter of joy, and figure out how is it that as Christians we can be stronger, but ultimately how is it as a church we can be stronger? And so when I started studying joy, um, I came back to another letter written by Paul, and it's in 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18. He says, always be joyful, never stop praying, be thankful in all circumstances. For this is God's will for you who belong to Jesus Christ. Never stop praying and be thankful in all circumstances. This is something over the last couple months that I've really felt challenged by the Lord. I think it really comes back to this place of, do we have a grateful heart? Are we able to say that we are a grateful person? Because here he's not saying, be grateful because you're great. He's not saying be grateful because your circumstance is perfect. He's not saying because your family is perfect, because you're living in a perfect situation, but he is saying be grateful in all circumstances. Rejoice in the Lord. We're able to rejoice always because God is always good. No matter what our circumstances, God is always good. So how can we be stronger as a church and how can we be stronger as Christians? I, be, I believe that it starts with number one, what, what Paul's saying here is whatever happens, rejoice in the Lord. And this is what I was talking about, this heart of gratitude. I've really felt like the Lord has been pushing me the last couple months and challenging me with having a grateful heart. Um, for those of you who don't know me, um, in comparison to my wife, I am considered a negative person. 
I am, I, I probably am overall more of a negative person, but my wife is very positive. She is like outgoing and like, like she's the person who just has a song and is like singing always. Like she's kind of like a Disney character. If you actually like, that, that's the best way of describing her if you don't know her. But I've, I've been really challenged to come back to this place of having a grateful heart. And so um, over the last couple months, so for those of you who don't know, we spent two years living in my parents' basement, um, saving up for a house. And so back in May, we finally found a house. Everything was kind of going on track. We set a closing date. And, um, and so we were just like thrilled. We were praising God. We were so excited. Everything was, was going in the right direction. And, um, and then one day after I made a deposit at the bank, I was on my way home and a car came out of nowhere and T-boned me, T-boned my car. Um, I was okay. The, the other driver was okay. Um, but the other driver was actually a 90 year old man. He was a 90 year old priest named Father Wong. And so he, he, Came up to a stop sign, went to hit the brake, accidentally hit the gas, and T-boned me. And so um, at this point, Sierra and I are about two weeks from our closing date on this house. Um, I take my car in, they look at it, and they're like, yeah, your car's totaled. And I was like, sweet. And so then I had to wait for insurance, all of these things. Well, basically, I came to this place where I wasn't going to be able to get a car. Um, it was going to be a while before I could get a car because I had to wait for house, all these adult things, just whatever. I, I, I was going to be carless for a while. Um, and in the midst of this, I really felt it was actually the day um, that I got in this accident and I went home and I was just praying and just talking to the Lord. And he said, this is an opportunity for you to choose joy. And I was like, oh. like, you know, all those signs that are like all the joy signs, those they're just such a challenge now. Every time I see one, like, you know what I'm saying? Like, people put these in their houses. They're always like, choose joy or whatever. And I'm always like, all right, well, now I just always hear the Lord being like, yeah, that's for you. You're, you're just supposed to choose joy. So anyways, all that to be said, I, I finally, um, I go, I get a new car. We closed on our house. Everything's been going good. Um, I get a new car and... Um, I started driving at home. I negotiated the price, figured it out, got it within the budget, all of the things. And I get on the interstate. I bought it in Kalispell. get on the interstate, start driving back to Missoula. And as soon as I hit 55 miles per hour, my car just begins shaking. And I'm like, what is going on? I'm in that moment, like praying, like, Lord, what is happening? Like this, I, I had already prayed the night before. I felt like this was the car we're supposed to get. All of these things. And um, I message the dealership. I get home. They're like, okay, we'll set up some appointments, get it looked at. We'll get it fixed. Don't worry about it. And so I take it in the ne- to, the, to a place the next morning. They're like, yeah, there's nothing we can do about it. And so then I was like, okay. So they set up another appointment. Yeah, there's nothing we can do about it. And so I have three, four appointments. There's nothing anybody can do about it. And so they're like, oh, well, I think we can send it to the Acura dealership in Spokane. We'll let you know when. So for the record, I am still driving it. And it has not been taken in yet. So, but I have felt like the Lord continues to tell me this is an opportunity for you to choose joy. And I've had so many people come up and they're like angry about it. They're more upset than I am about it. And I have like been in this place where I'm like, no, it's okay. The Lord's got it. I'm not stressed about it. I'm choosing joy. 
And they're like in this place where they're like, well, they're gonna, you know, like they're, they're more up in arms than I am. But what I, what I want us to get to this place of is understanding we have the opportunity to choose joy in the midst of our trials. And I'm not saying that this is the hardest situation I've ever been in, and I'm not trying to compare it to yours, but what I'm saying is I'm learning this too. This is an opportunity for us to choose joy. Paul writes about gratitude and thanksgiving over 45 times. He's telling us that the basics of Christian living starts with a grateful heart. So let's jump down verse three through four. Paul says, we rely on what Christ Jesus has done for us. We put no confidence in human effort, though I could have confidence in my own effort if anyone could. Indeed, if others have reason for confidence in their own efforts, I have even more. He goes on to explain that he is a pure-blooded citizen of Israel He's the tribe of Benjamin. He was a member of the Pharisees. He demanded the strictest obedience of the Jewish law. See, what Paul's doing here is he is saying, if anyone, it was me. I put in so much effort. I put in more effort than others. So if anyone should have confidence in their effort, it's me. But then in verse seven, he says, I once thought these things were valuable but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. See, there is nothing that you or I could do to get to heaven on our own. There's no amount of effort. There's no amount of serving. There's no amount of heart that we could put in, no amount of actions that we could do to get to heaven on our own. See, we could never have right standing with God through our own actions. So therefore, Jesus came and lived a perfect life and died for you and me so that when we believe in him, we can have that right standing with God. So I think the second thing Paul is explaining here is he is saying that our confidence is not in our human effort, but in our faith in God. And thank God for that because none of us could put in the effort to get to heaven on our own. So Paul says, after learning what Christ has done, everything else is worthless in comparison. And he even throws, he throws out his credentials, he throws out his knowledge, he throws all of these, his experience, his position, everything he says is worthless in comparison to knowing Christ. So if we look at our lives, where is it that our confidence comes from? Where do we find confidence or where we find our confidence? I think that's where we often find our value. On Wednesday night at youth group during worship, they, um, they were leading a song that I haven't heard in a long time. And I was just caught up just listening to the lyrics over and over. And the song was talking about how it's never been about performance. It's never been about excellence. It's never been about perfection. But it's only ever been about one thing. There's only one thing that ever made us worthy. And that was Jesus dying on that cross for us. That was the only thing that ever made us 
worthy. See, Paul's explaining to us that we can't do it on our own. He had the credentials, the schooling, the knowledge, and it didn't matter. He knew as soon as he knew who Jesus really was, then none of that mattered. I've been studying this passage of scripture now for around a month. And I, I've been going through it over and over, just finding different things, studying, um, comparing, doing all these different things. But it wasn't until this last Wednesday that, I've, that I was able to fully grasp this passage. Um, over the last couple of months, um, Sierra and I have had a really rough time in youth group. We've just watched students um, honestly just fall away from the Lord. Not even just youth group, but fall away from the Lord. We went from averaging 35 to 40 kids to all of a sudden one week we were down to 12. And it just hit like that. And I just watched as these kids who were devoted, who were coming, who were just there all the time. So many of them, it was just distraction. Something came in and pulled them right out. And for 90% of them, it was a relationship that all of a sudden was more valuable than their relationship with God. And so they just completely walked away. So I had two students who graduated last year. They graduated our youth group. They went and spent a year doing ministry school and they were coming back to visit and they offered to lead youth group. And so Sierra and, Sierra and I said, yeah, that'd be great. So one of them led worship and one of them preached. Um, but so I, I called them and I was letting them know. I was giving them a heads up. Hey, this isn't normal youth group. Things have changed. The last couple of months have been really difficult. These, these students have just really gone through it. And I've watched as the students that we have now, we have 12 to 15 right now that are just want to be there so badly because they just want this relationship with Jesus so badly. And that's an awesome thing to have. But I've also watched as how hard it's been for them, watching their friends walk out the door. And so I was warning them, I was kind of giving them a heads up, hey, this is what has kind of been going on. And so they came, led worship, and, um, and preached, and did an awesome job. It was incredible. But then at the end, they had this time of prayer. And so they had all my leaders up on the stage and were offering prayer for students. And, um, and we, we prayed over every student. I don't think there was a single one who didn't get prayed for. But then it was cool because after that, these two, um, these two, I mean, they're not students, they're graduated, but they then began going and praying and pouring in to every leader that I had there. And at the end of it, um, after everybody had gone, they wanted to pray for me. And, and, um, and so they began praying for me. And there were just so many things that the Holy Spirit began revealing in that moment. And he began telling me that it's not about my success. It's not about my serving, my excellence, my knowledge. It's not about things like my finances. It's not about those things. And, and as he was revealing these things, all I could keep saying is, okay, then what, it's, what, what is it about? Like I was skipping all the things. He's like, it's not, it's not, it's not. And I'm like, okay, well, just tell me what it is. And it took forever. Like they were praying for like 30 minutes, I swear. Like I'm just like, tell me what it is, I wanna know. And finally, we come to the end of this prayer and I'm just sitting there um, sobbing. Um, and finally, the Holy Spirit just says, it's about your obedience. 
I just came to this place of, I think what we value at the end of the day is honestly what we're gonna obey. And if we think it's based on our success, if we value our success, then that's what we obey. If we value money, that's what we obey. If we value knowledge, then that's what we obey. And we're missing that it's always been about an obedient heart. It isn't about our effort. It's about our obedience. And I had to come to this realization of it doesn't matter how many kids are in the seats. It doesn't matter how, many, how much students like me. It doesn't matter how good my sermons are. It doesn't matter how well I communicate something. I had to come to this realization that it's always been about my obedience to him. See, my confidence then is no longer in my own self, but it's about my confidence then comes from my obedience to the one who originally called me. That confidence then comes from him. In verse eight and nine, Paul continues. He says, yes, everything else is worthless when compared to the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I've discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage so that I could gain Christ and become one with him. I no longer count on my own righteousness through obeying the law. Rather, I become righteous through faith in Christ. For God's way of making us right with him himself depends on faith. This is the verse that the Lord has just been bringing me back to over and over and over again ever since I started studying it. Everything is garbage compared to the infinite value of knowing Christ. Amen. See, and I, I began to ask myself, I put it in my notes, do we value Christ? And I think the quick, easy Christian answer is, well, yes, of course we value Christ. But see, when you value someone, you want to spend time with them. When you value someone, you want to serve them. There's this deeper love when you value someone. And Pastor Jason, in week one, he brought something up that challenged me, and I feel like it really ties in with this. He said that if everyone was in their Bibles as much as you, would the church be stronger or weaker? If everyone served as much as you, would the church be stronger or weaker? If everyone was obedient to the Lord as you were, would the church be stronger or weaker? See, Paul really understood the value of this relationship with Christ. Paul is sitting in prison telling them to rejoice in all circumstances. If anyone deserved a letter of encouragement, I feel like it was Paul. But instead, he is the one writing it to the church saying, rejoice in the Lord. He's encouraging them to have faith. And he's explaining this infinite value for Christ in the midst of everything that he's dealing with. About a month ago, I got to go out with um, one of our ministries here called Hands of Hope. 
and I got to go into, uh, I, we, we, we did a lot of deliveries that day, but, but there was one that will always stick out to me. We got to go into this house. It was this a little two-bedroom, um, like the living room's really small. Like it was just this really tiny house. But we were bringing a couple of beds. We were bringing a cabinet, a couch, just a couple of things. And after it was all put together, after we were done, we circled up and we asked this guy, hey, what, what is it that we can pray for you about? Like, what, what is it that, um, that you need prayer for? And with tears in his eyes, he just felt so blessed that he was like, there's nothing you could pray for me about right now. I'm just so blessed. And I thought, like, I, I remember looking back and, and going out and thinking that I had a tough week that week. And I remember sitting in that circle with him having tears in his eyes. He, he shared some of his story, explaining that, um, that he was just so happy that his son would have a bed before his birthday. He had a 14-year-old son, and they had been homeless, and he was just explaining that he's so blessed because he finally got a job. He made enough money to finally get, uh, to be able to pay rent on this house, so now they were off the streets, and then, and then he was just so blessed because now they would each have a bed, and his son would have a bed before his birthday. And I just left that like, how is it that I could be so ungrateful? We left there and he probably felt like we had blessed him, but I left there going, that guy just blessed me. He was teaching me how to have a grateful heart. He reminded me of what having a grateful heart really looks like. As I began reading through my notes today, I just was looking at this next generation and just thinking, you know, just thinking about gratefulness. And I had this idea, and I don't know if I'm supposed to share it or not, so here we are. We're, we're just sharing it anyway. But I was, I was just thinking, when Sierra and I have kids, I would like to have a jar that's called the ungrateful jar. <laughs> and our kids will probably have allowance and stuff like that, and every time we're ungrateful for something, whether it's me, Sierra, our kid, whatever, we just need to put something in there to remind ourselves, like, we have so much to be grateful for. But I think we just all come to this place of just being ungrateful because we're just used to things being a certain way. It's not about how many things you have, but it's about how much thanks you give. This is what Paul is doing. We see Paul live this out as he gives thanks and praise while he is in prison. See, giving thanks in all circumstances is so countercultural. They teach you to give thanks when you receive blessing. They teach you to give thanks once you're through the hard time. But James says, count it all joy. This we have an opportunity. He says, opportunity for joy when trials come our way. We don't look at trials as an opportunity. We look at it like, God, please just get me through it. We're like dragging our nail, like, please just get me through this trial. But he's saying it's an opportunity for joy. He's able to do this. He's able to explain this to the church because he has this infinite value for Christ. He's no longer living a life 
for himself, but he's living a life for Christ. And, I, and when I was writing this, all I could help feel but was, but like when we have this understanding of the heart of God, when we understand that we have this opportunity to have relationship with God because of what Jesus has done, it makes everything else less important. When we can really understand this infinite value for our relationship for Christ, all of a sudden, money is less important. Vacation, it's a little less important. Our time off, that day that we're like, this is a me day, this is, I, I get to do all these things for me, it's less important. There's so many things that we fill our calendars with that are good things, but they're not God things. But when we have this value for this relationship with Jesus, our calendar should reflect how much we value Jesus in our lives. Our value in Christ is what should make it easier to be generous. I'm preaching to the choir on this one. If everyone was as generous as you, would the church be stronger or weaker? That value in Christ is what should motivate us to want to tell others, to want to share this good news with other people because we have this amazing relationship with Jesus and we should want others to get to have that too. This week I had two youth students show up to the church on Thursday and they came in and they just began asking staff members, hey, is there anything I can do for you? I was like, I don't know what's happening right now. Um, so, so Tara was like, you know what? Yeah, if you want to go stack all the chairs in the auditorium, we need to clean the floors. And they happily were like, okay, yeah. And they came in here, stacked the chairs by themselves. Then they came into my office. They were like, hey, we've been asking. Uh, is there anything we can do for you? So I had like a couple like copies that needed to be made. I had some stuff for them to look over and whatever. And so then I began asking them. I said, so you're just like free today or what's happening? And they're like, well, we don't normally get this day off. And so we were originally going to go to the river and then we, we saw the church in the distance and we were like, well, why don't we just go serve? Let, let's just go see if, if anybody needs help at the church. And so then they came in and then, then with this heart, they just began serving. See, God values the attitude of our hearts above all else. He knows why we're doing things. He knows why we're serving. He knows why we're in church. He knows why we're opening our Bible. He knows why we're in prayer. He knows why we're in worship. He knows the attitude of our heart. Philippians is all about joy. Joy in believing, serving, generosity, prayer, worship, reading our word, everything. It's just about joy. Have joy because we get the opportunity of knowing who Jesus Christ is and what he did for us. I really wish I could cover all of chapter three in, in, this, in this service, but I just know there's not enough time. But I would just highly encourage you, if you haven't been reading Philippians, read Philippians. But if, you've, if you're caught up, go back on your own time with a highlighter, with a pen, pray beforehand, and just sit and read it and see what God illuminates to you 
because there's so much more than what I can just cover in this service and the Lord wants to speak to you individually. Verses 12 through 14, this is Paul, what he says. He says, I don't mean to say that I have already achieved these things or that I have already reached perfection, but I press on to possess the perfection of which Jesus Christ first possessed me. No, dear brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it, but I focus on this one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God, through Jesus Christ, is calling us. As we're running this race and striving for the heavenly prize, as we're going through this series to make us stronger, Paul gives us a focus. Forget the past and look forward to what lies ahead. And this is a, this is a pretty common um, pastor illustration, but I couldn't help but think about if you're driving. If you're driving a car and you spend the whole time looking in the rear view mirror, it's not gonna go well. You're gonna crash, you're gonna get in an accident, it's gonna go horribly. And I believe this is what Paul is trying to help us understand that it isn't about our past. I think so often as Christians, we can get caught up looking in the past. The past will bring shame, it'll bring guilt, and it'll bring us back to this place of feeling unworthy. And for the record, we were never worthy. But Christ came and he lived a perfect life and he died for us so that when God looks at us, he sees it through this lens of Jesus and he sees us as worthy. He sees us as right standing with him. So we're not called to focus on our past. And I couldn't help but think about Paul when he's writing this letter when he's thinking about his own past, because even writing, forget the past, it's gonna bring up the past. Paul persecuted Christians. Paul murdered Christians. And yet he finds himself writing a letter of joy and encouragement to the same church that he would be persecuting earlier. And I couldn't imagine how hard it would have been for him to sit there and have that flashback of when Stephen gets killed and they're all handing Saul at the time, the coats. But he's telling us, don't focus on the past, but focus on what lies ahead. When you're driving a car, it's always good to glance. You need to know what's behind you. It's good to know what's behind you, but it can't be the focus. And when I was thinking about that, it, it really brings me back to this idea of, I love glancing at the past because I get to see where God has brought me, what God has brought me through. Because then when I'm focusing forward, it doesn't matter what's in front because I know he's been faithful back there. So he's gonna be faithful up there. Nothing is more valuable in our life than knowing Jesus. So our job is to just obey him. Everything else 
is garbage in comparison. Maybe for you tonight, you sit here and you feel, you feel like I did, where it was all about how much effort you could put in. Maybe you feel like it's been about success. For me, it was how many seats or how many students are in those seats. That tells me I must be doing a good job. It's not about that. It's never been about that. It's never been about perfection or excellence or effort. It's always been about our obedience. So as the worship team comes up and they're gonna lead us in another song, I just really felt like the Lord was saying, this is an opportunity to just spend some time in prayer and worship and lay down all the other things we've been striving for. If it's not obedience to Him, it's worthless. It's garbage in comparison. So I'm gonna pray and the worship team's gonna take over, but don't begin worshiping until you've really sat there and asked the Lord, what is it that I need to surrender? Some of you already know what it is that you need to surrender, but surrender it first and then give that praise after. Let's pray. Lord God, we just thank you. God, we thank you that you made a way for us. Lord, that you made it so that it wasn't about how much effort we could put in, but it was about how much we obey you. Lord, about how much we value this relationship with you, Jesus. God, I just pray that you would just be moving, that you would just be speaking, Lord, that you would illuminate to every single person here what it is that they need to surrender, what it is that they need to lay down on the altar. Lord God, I just pray that this is an opportunity for joy. Lord, that as we look forward, we're going to see trials, we're going to see tough times, but Lord, I just pray that we understand that these are opportunities to rejoice in you and to choose joy, Lord. We just thank you. God, we ask all these things in your holy and precious name. Amen. Hey, thanks for listening. River of Life is a ministry in East Missoula, Montana. We exist for one purpose, to make Jesus famous by showing his love to the lost, broken, and hurting. For more information, you can check us out online at rolmt.com. If you've made a decision to follow Jesus today, we'd love to talk to you about what comes next. Shoot us an email at nextstep at rolmt.com. Thanks.